we start, Pat, as we've been doing for the last few weeks, if you like this pod, if you like what we talk about, if you like either or both of us as individuals, let other people know. Share this podcast with others. Tell them about it. Talk about it. Comment, review, all of that stuff. Really helpful. And you know, we appreciate anything that you can do for us. And so with that, I'm going to jump straight into the idea this week, and I'm going to give the listeners what they're here for. And that is a new idea, which a little bit different, and I'd like to get your take on it, obviously, as we go through. But You've got dreams and goals, right? Let me ask you personally. You've got dreams and goals, yeah? I have many dreams and goals. As most people do. So I'm glad you said yes on that. But people procrastinate. Like, There's lots of reasons to procrastinate. Lack of motivation, could be fear of failure, perfectionism, task aversion. There's he- heaps of reasons why people procrastinate. And there's another thing as well. You know, if there's something that you're thinking about doing, there's, let's say, going on a cruise, lots of myths, lots of perceptions, lots of perceived barriers, right? But until you do that thing, those myths, those perceptions, you still have them. And so the cruise, I use that example is because I had those perceptions. And a few years back, I went on a cruise, totally blown out of the water, (laughs) not the ship. My mind. Oh um, my god, that's hilarious! But yeah. I absolutely love the cruises now. Like one of the big cruise liners, you know, three, four thousand people love it. Best thing. But before going on it, I was probably thinking the same as you. Like, I'm never going to go on a cruise. You're really getting on in age, aren't you? Going on, <laughs> going on cruises. But you see, you're proving my point, right? Until you do the thing, you don't know what it's like, and you have all the myths, the perceptions. Right. So what I want to do or what I think there is an opportunity for is something called a motivational concierge. Right? So the concept is that you pay someone to organize all the stuff you've been dreaming of, but you only get it for one day. Right. So you get to experience whatever it might be. It could be uh, travel. So certain travel experience could be living in a mansion, could be going to an expensive restaurant. Maybe you want to be the CEO of a business for a day. All right. So whatever, whatever the dream is, obviously it can't be anything that's give me 20 kilos of muscle or you can't fly an A380 with full of passengers. So it can't be anything that's illegal, risky. But yeah, the idea is that people fear losing something more than the reward of gaining something. So that loss aversion. You think about if you lose $100, the basic ratio is that by losing $100, you feel 10 times worse than if you find $100, right? So this fear of loss is a much more powerful motivator than the opportunity of gain, right? So that's kind of where this concept is coming from is that if you're given the opportunity to experience all these things you've always wanted to do, will that mean that because there's this fear of loss, you're then going to be more motivated to go and do those things in real life, I would say. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So think about a personal trainer. So personal trainers, they organize the location, they organize the session, the equipment, and they put the peer pressure on their clients to kind of show up and do the work. In exchange, the clients will obviously pay money and it's for the convenience that they're paying for. So they're paying for someone else to kind of organize all of that for them and push them towards that goal. And self-motivation is a big one here. People are self-motivated. They can do the stuff themselves, but a lot of people aren't. And that PT industry, by the way, so it's in 2022, it's worth 37 billion globally. And it'll be about 49 billion in about five years' time. So it's a pretty big market, just as an example of those kind of market sizes. So I think from a desirability standpoint, if people had the opportunity to experience something that they've always wanted and someone else organize it for them, I reckon they'd go for it. But the question obviously is how much they would pay for that experience. So just summarize for me what I'm buying here, Dan. So you, you're buying someone to organize all of these experiences that you've always wanted to do. You know, you've wanted to drive a Ferrari and that's the thing you want to do. It might be in that one day, you drive a Ferrari, you drive a, a powerboat, 
you live in a mansion and you go out to a restaurant, you go out to a really expensive restaurant. Let's just say that's the things that you wanted to do. So you're going to pay someone to organize all of that stuff for you and organize a day. And this day is kind of going to cram in all the experiences that you've always wanted to do. It might be one experience or it might be multiple. Brilliant. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I guess, you know, that would have to be costed on a, you know, day by day basis, depending on what all the activities are. I think it's quite ambitious because people are going to want some pretty, you know, full on things. I know. I haven't fully form the business model around this. What I reckon you do is is you charge something like 10 grand. So you need to make it a, a significant amount because most of these experiences are going to be costly. Not all, but most probably will. And obviously from a business standpoint, you don't want to be outlaying more money than what you're getting in. So something like 10K means that hopefully net, you know, and you'd have to work out the numbers, but net you're still bringing in that money and you're still making that profit. But I think the opportunity here is not to necessarily buy all these experiences, but as a founder or as the, the person running this business that you're very well connected to a lot of people in a lot of different industries. And so the idea would be that I've got a client that wants to fly to, I don't know, Auckland, right? And so you reach out to your pilot friend or you reach out somewhere and or to, to some airline and you basically organize that. And maybe it's done as a favor or maybe it's done as kind of a, a swap kind of deal. So I think maybe you could get, on, get around that, that cost side of things if you are very well connected in this place. And there is a, a network in Australia, at least. I don't know if it's global, but it's called the Luxury Network Australia. I, I think it is a global network, but this is a similar-ish concept where members will pay, or you pay 10 grand a year, I think, to become a member. And all the members basically contribute and offer the things that they own. And so if there's a company that owns a, a bunch of holiday houses, then those holiday houses can be offered to other members. And another member might have a commercial fishing business. And so they bring oysters to the party. And so everyone kind of contributes and, and brings things in and they will swap. And so it's that kind of network that I'm thinking you would need as the back end for this. I mean, I suppose almost what you're doing, that concept is you're just giving someone a temporary membership for a day. You're paying a certain amount. You're getting almost one day or it might be two days, whatever it is, but you're just getting a temporary limited membership to experience all these things. And then you're out. Quite interesting. And yeah, I think that is really good given the emerging industry of longevity. So because something like that is definitely, you know, it's quite a large purchase and it's something that people are going to want to do, you know, more towards the end of their life, but people are living longer. So I think great target market for that are people, you know, starting at probably about 45 to 75, you know, a great target market for that. They've got the money, they've got the C to B, as I like to say, the cash to burn. So I think that would be a really good market to start with, with something like that. I don't think, I think young people are going to have, you know, too many great ideas and not enough money, but then, you know, you might get a challenge with the older demographic of not enough sort of solid ideas. I think you're right. The target market is right. They've got the money and they've got the means to pay for it. But yeah, you're right. The younger people are, they're off having different experiences anyway. So I think you're right. I was thinking as well, it could even be that you could bring companies on board in the back end here. And so effectively they're giving a demo or they're giving their product or their experience to somebody almost as a marketing expense. So it's kind of like a demo, almost like a lead generation type opportunity. And so if you've got this network of all of these companies offering all these experiences or products or services or whatever it is, if the client then goes on to purchase purchase a product or purchase a service or sign up to something or whatever it is, if they've if that lead is converted, maybe that's how this business, this motivational concierge, maybe that's how they get paid. They actually get paid almost like a referral fee, almost like a broker, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good model as well, the brokerage model. I just, I'm not happy with the name. When you said motivational concierge, it's not what I thought you were going with it. 
I thought you were talking more of like a, a you know, AI, chat GPT, sort of sends you messages, motivates you, makes you, you know, confident in the day, you know, wakes you up in the morning, does that sort of thing. Sort of like, you know, these motivational pages on Instagram and, yeah. and other social networks. That's where I thought you were going with it, not like a, a literal experience buying service. So I think that's changed the name. Sure. I mean, the idea was that you're being motivated to do these experiences as opposed to just going along and always wishing you had the chance to do it. Again, coming back to that example where the fear of loss is much, much greater than the opportunity for gain. And so the idea here is, yeah, let's give you the thing and there's a greater fear of losing it. So you're more likely to then do those experiences on an ongoing basis rather than just always wishing you had the chance to do it. It's a different one. That logic's not really sitting well with me, but I think, yeah, definitely if you're targeting, you know, older demographics, I think they'll definitely have that fear of loss of life and, you know, that'll motivate them to do the experiences. Also, I think another way you could make this interesting would be to make them group experiences and sort of take the, you know, the Kentucky tour model, which is, you know, for those listening, it's like a basically like an Australian travel company where young people sort of get put in a group of 10 to 12 and they go on a bus and tour around Europe with a tour guide who's like 26 because everyone in the trips, you know, in their 20s as well. And they basically drink every night and tour around all the sites and that sort of thing. And it's like a big group experience because, you know, loneliness is an emerging thing and people People want to travel, but it's hard to line up with friends. And to your point, people want to do experiences, but it's hard to line up with friends as well. So I think you're playing to that loneliness thing as well. Uh, you know, people are getting more and more, you know, don't have as many friends as well. And you could almost, you know, make it a community activity is what I'm saying as well, where, you know, you get matched with people. It's like, oh, I want to drive in a Ferrari and I want to go on a African safari, you know, all in the same space of a week or whatever. And then you go with like a couple of different people that also want those things. Yeah. And look, that, that I mean, that's, that's specific to travel. And so I think travel is only one part of it, but yeah, the, you know, there's options there as well. But if you're rich, one of the things that a lot of people do is they'll get a, a home cook. And so there's a cook that that comes in and they prepare all the meals for the day and you pay them obviously, but you have your own personal chef. Now, if you got a personal chef for a day, and so it's not relevant if you're single household, family household, whatever, but you've got a personal chef for a day, they make all your food, they clean up, they do the dishes, you know, all of that stuff. It might be other household chores as well. It might be somebody who comes around like a cleaner, might be a gardener. And so your dream day might be to have all of these services. That might be the thing that you've always wanted to experience, right? And so now that you've had that experience, and then the next day you go back to having to cook yourself, having to clean yourself, having to do everything yourself again. The idea is that once you've experienced it that first time, once you've tried it and you love it, that fear of taking that away, that's a much more powerful motivator than never having had it and just thinking, okay, at some point I'm going to try this. Oh, I see. Now I see your lead gen angle. Now I get it. You, You were thinking from the business side, you know, from the businesses offering the service side, because, you know, after I've had that chef, you know, I'll I want to pay for it later. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've kind of come to at the end is that, yeah, maybe it is the businesses which are offering the services. And so you as the the motivational agent, whatever you want to call it, the, the business, you're coordinating all these businesses who are offering their services almost as a trial, I suppose. So that's how you can lower your costs. Mm, that's really good, actually. And then, yeah, the idea is that if they sign on for a chef ongoing, then the agent gets some kind of referral fee. Yeah. I like it. It's playing into several mega trends. I think it's definitely something going into the future. I think experience experiences are definitely um, the future as well. So I think you're playing into that. The world is abundantly full of things. So things are declining in value currently. And over the next 10 years, things are just going to be not as valuable as experiences. And then you can start getting into more niche, unique experiences as well, where the real value is had. It's like spend time with 
you know, write a song with Drake or, you know, with Dave Grohl or something like that. Yeah. And then that's like more of a valuable experience. But I, I like what you're saying. You're, you're talking about all these mid-level experiences that can then be on-sold potentially. Yeah. Uh, mid-level, entry-level, extreme, high-level. I think, you know, it's it's a combination of all of that. Like I said, business model still needs to be worked on a little bit, but I reckon there's something here. In the interest of time, let's crack onto your idea. What do you got? Great, 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 great. Well, uh, Dan, did you know that Spare Room, which is the housemate and house finding app and website popular across you know America and the UK and it's the most popular one here in the UK to find yourself a room to live in has over 12 million users I did not on average never heard of it before yeah yeah spare room is called and on average someone finds a roommate every three minutes on this platform yeah cool right there's currently 82,318 rooms and flatmates available across the UK and over 350,000 people looking for rooms each month mm-hmm. right I'm one of them right now so looking for a new flat or a new room so so highly relevant for you well exactly right and so if anyone is listening to this and has a room in London let me know send me a message it is very competitive right which brings me to my point which is how would i you know make this better or solve this well my business idea is basically a new and improved roommate matching service that could operate in the UK, could operate all around the world. It's a digital service, right? Except most of these platforms are built on the idea of basically you find a house maybe, and then you go and you meet with the housemates. And then you, you go, oh, so you have to go down to the house. You got to look at the house. The housemates could interview. And what's happening in London at the moment, it's like people literally have like 10 to 20 people come and look at the room and they have to interview them all and talk to them all. Like It's literally that competitive, right? And then the person, people looking for houses, they're going to, you know, five, 10 houses a week sometimes. Like it can get crazy. Instead of that, I want to start with the roommates. As a roommate, before we get to the house, I want to start with a roommate. And what the business is, is basically it's a personality roommate matching site where you take a personality test and based on your results, you get matched with other people who would be good to live with. So we're using data or data, you know, depending on where you're from, to match you with people that you would be a good housemate with. And I'm not talking about just like basic things that they already have, like, oh, do you like pets? Or, you know, just like this basic stuff. Do you want a double bed? Like, it's ridiculous. It's like, I want to know, are you a narcissist? Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to know, are you loud generally? Or do you get animated like I do, right? Are you recording your podcast at 10.30 at night while the other housemates are, you know, in the other room like I am right now? Are you kind of thinking Tinder for roommates? But even further than that, how do you get that data? So, Because obviously someone's not going to volunteer that they're a narcissist. How do you get that data? If you worked in the corporate world, you've probably come across some sort of psychometric testing or if you've you know been in psychologists or therapies or whatever, you do this testing, right? So it's like before you sign up, like you have to do a test based like on psychometric testing and you get a score and you get traits and ratings and so forth and say, then that matches you with people, right? And then uh, you go from there. So it's an online platform, an app or something like that, quite easy to execute in terms of actually getting this done, I think as well, pretty basic sort of technology at this point. It's not easy. You still need to have the skill set. Um, there are a couple of things doing this in the market already. One called RoomSync that has sort of more gender inclusivity tools around tailoring questions that are gender based. Something that is common is, you know, females are more likely to want to live with other females. It's quite common as well. And so a tidbit there is that they have like these groups on Facebook and other social medias that are like, you know, female housemates in London or female housemates in Chicago or whatever. And they throw housemate parties instead of people going to the houses. And that's how they're currently solving it, right? So they just like all go out 
out to a bar or whatever or a, or a pub or a coffee shop and they all meet each other and say, like, I'm looking for a housemate. Oh, I've got a house. And that's, I've yeah. heard of that actually. And I, I can't remember the, the full story, but there's um, somebody in, I think it was New York, which is doing this and actually making money as a party planner. So somebody in need of a housemate will come to her. She'll organize the party. She'll throw the party. And then that's how she gets paid. But she's she's raking it in. So that's not a bad concept either, which I know is different from yours, but that's a good, good side concept there. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely an opportunity as well. I think my gut instinct, and this is just in- intuition, females are traditionally, and this is something I heard Jordan, Jordan Peterson say, I think, but females are more inclined to have a higher level of openness than you know males. So I think they're more open to, to uh, a product like that, like when at a party where I don't see a lot of males being like, oh, let's get a bunch of group random dudes together and we'll rock up and have beers and, and you know, um, see if we could live together. <laughs> yeah, but if it's as competitive as you say, maybe you will. If you get to a point where you're like, well, I've got no other option. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, if they're doing girls, they could easily transition into guys by saying the girls are there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like that's how, that's how they built to the dating apps. So, and there's so these matching matchmaking services, you know, room matching is actually an industry um, that's recorded. And so, uh, just some other numbers is globally, it's about 3.9 billion in 23, doing about 3.9 billion typically in subscriptions. It's usually a subscription to an app or something like that. So, there's a healthy market there. I mean, it's definitely growing. I think it's growing at about 3%. The monetization strategies that we could use for a product like this, you know, with the personality test are basically charging for the assessment and the subscription to then access the assessed roommate matching pools. So once we've got the pool of people, it's like to access them, you maintain your subscription or whatever. Yeah. You might've hit on a growing trend actually, because short-term rentals, so Airbnb is, it's almost synonymous with the term, but in in many cities around the world now, because so many people are renting their house out, their house out for short term rentals, so a day, a week, whatever it is, the long term rental market. So those who are renting for you know two years, whatever, they can't find any houses to live in, and this is part of what's caused this exacerbation in the rental crisis. But a lot of cities are now putting a lot more strict rules around the short term rentals. So for example, you can only rent it out for a minimum of thirty days. And so that model kind of is a bit of an Airbnb killer because if you can't rent your house out for a really short time frame, then what are you going to do? There's no rules at this point around renting out your room. So these Airbnb rules or these city rules I just talked about are for the whole house. So the whole house can't be rented out on a short-term period, but your room can. Wow. And so maybe now is the time to really start getting into this because, yeah, if people can no longer rent out whole houses for short periods of time, maybe they'll shift to renting out rooms for a short period of time. They will. And they're already doing it. It's already on there. Like, you know, they have three months. People write on these apps already, like three months, six months, or, you know, it's it's, it's, it's crazy here in London, actually. There's like two months only or one month or I'm going away for a week, rent my house. Like they literally write it on there, rent my room, rent my room, sorry. It's insane. And just if you find that interesting, also what they're doing here is they do this thing because everyone lives outside of the city and then they come into the city for work. So they do these things called Monday to Friday lets where it's like they'll rent out their Monday to Friday and then have a different place that they rent just for the weekend. And then they'll have like a Saturday, Sunday let and they'll live between them. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, particularly in in London where there's a long commute time. I was just going to say one other point on this idea. Back in episode eight, you talked about genetic dating and genetic matching. Mm. You, You must have a thing for matching and using data to match 
match people? Because <laughs> this is your second matching type idea. I think this is something that I started with actually was genetic housemate matching, but I didn't think that actually solved the problem. I think it's more personality traits. However, if the personality traits are related to your genetics, I don't know, but that could also be a thing. I've been looking into like megatrends lately because there's been a refresh of the 2024-23 sort of uh, megatrends. They've changed since the last couple of years. It's quite interesting. And one of them is actually genetic services, sort of like genetic matching services based on your genetics. It's an emerging thing that's coming through at the moment. Well, there you go. You're onto something. For, for anything. For Yeah. All right. Very good. Two ideas. And then I think we're done. Thanks very much. And everyone, if you're listening to this and you made it this far, write a review. We really would appreciate it. Just be honest. Tear us to pieces. Yeah. Or, 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 I mean, give us compliments. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see you then. See ya.